Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore. And the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Touched by Kalach. Rickson's got a kick. Celtic couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Tail goes to Spencer. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He's You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. The week rolls around very quickly, and we're up to episode 36 of Shim, Spider, and so much more. Good to have your company. Coming up over the next hour or so, the great summer versus winter debate. Ahead of the negotiations for the new TV deal, we'll discuss the quarterfinal draw in the UEFA Champions League. And our special guest is legendary Socceroo from the 1974 World Cup, Adrian Noddy Alston. Looking forward to that one. Joining me as per usual are our two golden boys, Zelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. Good to see you, gents. Uh, Maury, I have to ask you about the chaotic scenes in Glasgow this week involving your former club and that Europa League tie against Slavia Prague. Uh, first of all, that horrific challenge by Kemar Roof that saw him sent off. And then the allegations of racial slurs that followed against Glenn Kamara. Yeah, no, no I think first and foremost, Simon, um, over the two legs, Slavia Prague were the, were the better side and deserved to, to go through. Um, you know, they come through in the previous round against Leicester. So they're a very, very good side. But there were a couple of uh, instances, obviously the Kamar Roof uh, challenge, which was a, a red card. You know, it sees a, a high boot catch the, the face of the, of the goalkeeper, which could have been a terrible, terrible injury. But um, there was definitely no intent, Simon. Um, at no stage did Kamar Roof uh, see the goalkeeper. Um, but the right decision was made, in my opinion, in terms of ascending off. But there's, there were some really horrible scenes uh, towards the end of the game, um, you know, with this um, racial uh, kind of uh, scenes that we're continuing to, to see. And <clears throat> I think the whole of Scotland, a lot of the Scottish clubs and even in the old firm game today, both Rangers and Celtic uh, didn't take the knee. They actually, um, they stood up. Um, and, and I think players now feel, and, and, and also clubs that taking the knee is not enough. Uh, action needs to be taken on, on, on these kind of scenarios so that they stop. Um, you know, UEFA will go through a, a process and probably 
Um, after that process, if proven guilty, the club should be fined, in my opinion, and also the player should get a hefty, hefty suspension. Mm. Difficult to disagree. Um, Spider, now you've been involved in doing a documentary called Sporting Witness for the BBC. This is very highbrow for you. Um, but it's it's with regards to your former teammate, Saadi Gaddafi, of course, the son of uh, the late Libyan dictator. I had a bit of a listen to it uh, this week. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, thanks to you, Simon, your English contact, contacts, <laughs> and they got, they got to me, mate. Yeah. But you know what? It was, uh, it was quite enjoyable to, to reminisce. Um, and I obviously heard uh, Jake Bothroyd uh, speak as well, who I played with. And, you know, they were good times for us. And you actually don't re realise how surreal it was to actually play with someone like that, of that stature and that importance. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was good to, to give my feedback. And the feedback that I got uh, from the journalist was that all the people he spoke to all said the same thing about Saadi. So we obviously knew him as one person and obviously the world knows him as the son of a dictator, the Colonel Gaddafi's son. So, you know, two different people, but it was, it was fantastic. Take it you don't stay in touch with Saadi? Mate, I, I did try to get in contact with him when, uh, when he got prisoned and stuff like that, but yeah, impossible. So yeah, no, no contact at all. Football around the world continues to deliver some truly remarkable stories. Uh, let's move closer to home to kick things off, though, with Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, please go to streamgates.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. And of course, uh, we uh, continue to appreciate the support of Streamgate as a sponsor of this podcast. A big shout out to Dennis Fernandez. And uh, all his team, if you do have any streaming requirements, uh, go to that website, streamgates.com.au, and I'm sure they'll be happy to help. Um, gentlemen, the big talking point of the week probably surrounds the story written by Dominic Bossi in the Sydney Morning Herald last week regarding whether the A-League and W-League should be played in winter or summer. The rumour is those interested in acquiring the TV rights don't want a winter season. But, of course, as we know, FA, Football Australia, reportedly does to unify the game. Where do we stand on this? What should come first, money or the game? Or is that an impossible choice? Look, I, I think we've all been talking about the same thing for a long, long time. We want unification of the game. Uh, surely we can make that work. And realistically, Simon, the season would start in February, March, which is still summer. So we, we're leading into summer, into winter. So I think we have to unify the game We're once and for all, bring it all together. And I'm sure the TV can work something out to be a part of a fantastic sport that is the world game. But if they don't want it, Maury, in, in that time slots and obviously the discussions at the moment, we understand are perhaps with Stan, certainly with Fox, um, one or two other uh, players maybe, and they have other commitments during the winter months, don't they? 
going to do. For me, Simon, look, my preference is obviously winter. And, and the reason why that is my preference is because I think that aligns us with the majority of um, the Asian countries, which is our confederation. Now, I understand, for me, it's about the game, uh, first and foremost. Uh, but if it was decided that it was going to be summer, whenever football is played in Australia, for me, the whole of the game needs to be um, played at the same time. Uh, for me, that's very, very clear because that's how you unify the game. And as long as the as long as the windows, you know, as long as a, they're respected in terms of international football and all those kind of things, um, so that you know, domestically players aren't losing out on their best players because the show just goes on and the windows aren't uh, respected. So, but my preference is winter, mate. If I'm being honest. Well, one thing's for certain, it needs to be resolved sooner rather than later. And, of course, the players' spider wants certainty as well. A huge number of them are coming out of contract. There's no collective bargaining agreement in place because, of course, they just don't know what the financial future of the game looks like post-June, July. Yeah, big, big, big problem for the game. Uh, we, we have no idea what is going to happen when this contract finishes. So what is it at the end of June, Simon? When's yep. it yes. finish? Yeah, end of June. End, end, end of June. So we got a few months to go and we have no idea where the game is headed. We got no idea uh, who's going to be presenting the game on the television sides of things. We got no idea what the salary cap is going to be, if there's going to be a salary cap. We have no idea when the season is going to start. Pre-seasons, uh, teams assembling squads, teams that qualify for Champions League. like It really is a mess. And, yeah, we keep talking about it. There's no timelines. And this is a big, big problem in our game that needs to be, needs to be sorted out like ASAP yesterday, not tomorrow, yesterday. Yeah, and, and it's a tough one because how, I mean, for the club's spides, how, like, how do you plan when, when there is that uncertainty? Yeah. Um, not knowing what the future looks like. 70%, they reported 70% of player contracts up at, at the end of this season, which is not news to us. That's That's been the, the norm for the last five, six years. Um, you know, and, and I think as well with a lot of players, because of the culture and the way that we are set up in Australia is players will run those contracts down spides and for ten dollars or $15,000 potentially look to move into state and you know, there's a lot of things for me that you've got to not, weigh up when you make the move. Not just that. Not just that, Maury. Are we going to start losing players again? Like, we had a decent exodus this year when the salary cap went down and they went to India. And if we start losing players like that are going to the Indian League for three and four months, and, you know, there's other Asian countries, Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, there's all these type of countries. If we start losing players to those leagues, you know, where does it leave our league? Like, don't get me wrong, this year's been fantastic for the younger players. But if we want to develop and get better, we want our strongest players to stay here in Australia. Well, it's got to be resolved uh, pretty soon. Maybe it's going to be uh, a mix and match of outlets. It could be uh, a stand potentially with some games somewhere else. Who knows? One thing I personally think that needs to be fixed next season, this hasn't happened this year, is that marquee fixtures like the Big Blue um, should be scheduled to be on a free-to-air channel, if there is a free-to-air partner. Now, at the moment, that's not happening. Now, of course, at the weekend, the, the big wet in Sydney meant that the, the Big Blue was washed out anyway. 
but instead, the, the game that went on ABC, the free-to-air broadcaster, was the MacArthur versus Western United game. Now, in my opinion, that's got to be your marquee game. If, you, if you're trying to market the league to a new audience, you need your best players, your best products. No disrespect to MacArthur, Western United, but a big blue is something that resonates in, in football terms. That's the fixture that should have been on free-to-air at the weekend had it been played. Do you agree? Yeah, 100%. You always want... We, we've got plenty of these derby matches uh, that cultivate the, the people's hearts and to watch these games. And we still don't have that pulling power, Simon, if that's the right way to say it. We still get dictated to. Um, the way to grow the game is to get people to the stadium and the people that can't get to the stadium is to watch it on TV or whatever outlet they can watch it on. And they want to watch the best games. Now, every year changes. Like we, we think the Big Blue is going to be a fantastic match and you've got you know, Sydney FC is not at the top this year. Melbourne Victory is last this year. So it's... It's a juggling act because the people want to watch the best games week in, week out. Um, but yeah, I do agree with you. We've got to get the biggest pulling power, the biggest clubs on TV playing each other, especially the derbies. Uh, just on that uh, MacArthur-Western United uh, game, MacArthur winning it by two goals to one. Uh, Matt Derbyshire with his eighth of the season and another goal for uh, Markel Susayeta, all that after Dylan Piraeus had uh, put Western United ahead with an absolutely terrific goal. He's having a very good season, is Piraeus, uh, really starting to mm. blossom uh, yeah. at Western United. But I, I did want to ask you about the, the newest expansion clubs. I know it's early days for both. I know that the weather in Sydney was awful at the weekend. It really was. Um, and I know that we're, you know, we're in post-COVID times and that things are difficult and crowds are not turning up in, in, in great numbers anywhere. But the official attendance on Saturday was 1,872. Now, that, that's the sort of crowd that we used to smash Gold Coast United for back in the day. To me, the fact that that almost passes by without comment these days, okay, partly a result of COVID, and yes, the weather, as I say, was awful at the weekend. But it also speaks volumes to me that our ambition has not grown in the intervening years. It's waned. And that yeah, disappoints no, me. And big time. You remember, you're right. Clive Palmer, he, who took a, a lot of abuse for, for basically um, shutting the majority of the stadium down at Seabus, which it was at the time, uh, just having the, the, the bottom tier of 5,000. Because financially, that, that made sense, Simon. Um, I just think that, um, again, we touched before about what the future of the game looks like and, and is it money or the game? And I just hope that the money that does come into the game, uh, we're talking about a, a game that is, is, is really, at the moment, struggling uh, in terms of, um, you know, that engagement, I guess, that, that real interest. And I, I hope that the money that does come in for the game actually realises that they need to grow the sport. Right? And, and I think that by understanding that we have, a, we have a great product that definitely needs to improve, but they need to grow the product. Uh, it's not the finished article. So for me, that investor that comes in uh, is really key to the development of our game in Australia. It's emotional investments as much as financial investment, Spider. Yeah, it is. Because the game can only grow by getting more people to support clubs. If we don't get people supporting clubs and going to football matches and watching games, the game cannot grow. Now, 
I don't know about you guys, but the crowds are down all over Australia at the moment. I don't know if there's a lack of interest because there's there's no light at the end of the tunnel. People really don't know what's going on, what the future holds. The clubs are in a predicament as well because I guarantee you these clubs don't want to let some of these players go, but they might be forced to at the end of the year because it's just not viable. Well, I hear on the grapevine that uh, things may be happening with the TV deal over the next uh, four to six weeks. <laughs> Pretty much has to, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It's up in three months' time. But uh, really, that, that decision as to where the game is broadcast is so crucial and not just uh, the dollars and cents. In terms of on-the-field action, uh, the performance of the week, guys, probably uh, twofold. Western Sydney Wanderers, 3-0 over Perth. And uh, Adelaide United winning 4-1 against uh, Adelaide. Uh, the Wanderers are going pretty well, aren't they, under Carl Robinson, who's again proven he's a, he's a pretty smart coach, and they're right up on the shoulder of the Mariners at the top. They were excellent. Uh, they were fantastic. They're creating a lot of chances, mate. Bernie Abini, like, Doc Cordham, VAR, three, three times. Uh, but so they, at least with offside, they get it right, Spides. Yeah, it was, that's true. You're very right there, Maury. But... Uh, they're playing some really good football. Uh, it's good to see that the RBB and the supporters and the Wanderer supporters are back making noise at the stadium, which is another fantastic home ground advantage for the Wanderers. And you know what? They keep continuing to play like this. Their confidence is going to keep growing and, you know, they're going to, they're going to be there, thereabouts. They're an entertaining side, Simon. I mean, you look at even the game against uh, Wellington with a 4-3. So look, I think now when you watch Western Sydney Wanderers is, you know, it is going to be an exciting game. Um, you know, when I, when I touch on the quality as well, we still see a lot of errors in terms of a, a lot of the games in Australia. But uh, for, the, for the neutral and in terms of en entertaining uh, matches and, and people enjoying those games. But Western Sydney Wanderers were very good. Um, like I said, three offside goals uh, due to VAR. This could have been anything. Perth, after a very positive start, have, have struggled um, recently. Uh, so they certainly need to look to try and turn things around. Yeah, suffering perhaps from a, a little bit of an experience defensively as uh, much as anything else. Uh, the Sunday double header up in Newcastle, uh, Wellington drawing 1-1 with Brisbane. Uh, and Adelaide United are on a good run at the moment. Four straight wins now under Carl Viet. Uh, four goals to one, they, they ran out easy winners. Um, Cusini Yenke again in the headline spider um, for... A few forward rolls, should we say, or sideways rolls after he'd been Dude. tackled. And there's, I don't know if you've heard this, but there's a, there's a great piece of audio of Carl Viet just shouting in the background, Cassini, you got to fucking cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant by Viti. That's gold. But you, know, you know what? Adelaide's playing with a really good brand of football. And what Maury was saying, at the moment, the league is actually showing to the people that want to invest in the game, have a look at this quality. The games are so watchable. They're actually entertaining. You want to sit down and watch the games. I think Adelaide have been really, really good. They're playing a great brand of football. A lot of young players working hard, scoring a lot of goals. Uh, Newcastle had a little run, signed, signed the manager, and then have just completely stopped and gone back to, to the Newcastle that started the season. Really, really disappointing for them at the moment. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do to make things better. They're just leaking goals for fun. 
But Adelaide, Adelaide, very, very good. We probably, um, one of the, the listeners, Simon, last week said that we, we touched on the Melbourne teams and probably didn't talk enough about Adelaide in terms of their, their win over Melbourne victory. Um, but again, very, very good. But when you look at their players, I mean, Goodwood's come in and made an enormous impact to the team. Huge, huge. Y- Yangi, you know, someone that's come in and, um, by the way, I, I actually, I mean, take out the role. Uh, but in terms of the way that he, he seems to enjoy the game, um, he's got a, got a little bit about him. I think Spies, mm. even when he scored against Melbourne Victory, when he went over to the away supporters and kind of he strutted about, I go, you know, that's not bad. I don't mind seeing that. Don't like to, like I said, see the, see the roles. But Halloran, Goodwin, uh, Yangi coming in, Mork getting his goals. Um, Adelaide are a very exciting team um, and, and look to have a bright future after, like I said, a difficult start. Um, Calvitz starting to see the benefits of probably the work that he's putting in on a day-to-day basis. Um, I was actually up in Newcastle on Sunday, interviewed Craig Deans uh, before the game for the corporate function, and um, he said our players have to be switched on. They have to do the the ugly stuff in football. He ended up apologising for that first-half performance. That's a little bit of a concern, isn't it, Spider, for, for Craig Deans, a new coach, not that he's new to the club, obviously he's been there a long time, but when, when he repeats that mantra, that message pre-game, but it's not getting through quite clearly. They were 4-0 down at half-time. Yeah, and they were woeful. They, they weren't bad. They were woeful. Um, and, and I think he's right in what he's saying. They need to do the simple things in football again. Like, you know, we, we talk about playing out from the back. We talk about build-up. You know what? How about you skip all that for a little bit and get back to fundamentals and winning a tackle and winning a header and making a challenge? They're, they're so beat. open. Yeah, be hard to beat. I mean, Maury, we, we talk about so much about attacking football, attacking football, but we keep forgetting that the teams who have the best defence in the league... Yeah. Attack wins your games, defence wins your titles, as the old uh, saying goes. Um, let's move over to uh, the W League. Sydney FC had the, clan, had the chance to clinch the premiership this weekend, or at least they would have done had they played against uh, Melbourne Victory. Unfortunately, that was uh, rained off as uh, Sydney almost literally drowned under this uh, deluge of rain. Michelle Heyman played a 100th game for Canberra and scored uh, to keep their finals hopes alive. And what about this story, uh, guys? 5,000 people rocking up at Highmarsh Stadium to watch Adelaide defeat Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, they not yet confirmed their place in the finals. They've never made the top four in their entire history. But w- what a job that Adrian Stenter has done this season to get them up in that uh, reckoning. They still might miss out if they're unlucky. Uh, but for a club that had, had done nothing in the W League, this had been quite the transformation. And 5,000 people rocking up to watch the game underlines that the potential is there for the women's game in this country as well. But not just, not just for the women's team. I think Adelaide United in general is doing a fantastic job because these young girls that are actually hopefully going to make the playoffs there for Adelaide for the first time, this is the whole system they have there in Adelaide. And all these young quality footballers, female and male, somehow, if they're good enough, end up at Adelaide United. And they have mentioned it many, many times. They want to be an Adelaide, South Australian base. They want to get kids to filter through their system that are from South Australia, which I think is a fantastic thing for football in South Australia. Well done to all of them. 
I, I agree, Spides. I think Adelaide is one of those ones where, again, you talk about expansion. Um, I actually think that it would work against Adelaide because I think that they're doing a fantastic job in terms of the way that that state, um, you know, and, and, and the DNA, you know, they want to produce their own players um, and they seem to have a really good reach um, and, and have that presence within, you know, the women's game and, and the men's game. Um, I look at the impact that Adelaide have had and, and then you, the flip side of that is, is Brisbane. I actually think it's thriving for another team because I think Brisbane need to improve. Um, whereas another um, A-League franchise there, I think would actually, it would improve them because they would need, they, they're kept on us that way, Spider. They have to improve. As it, but, uh, as it did with Sydney FC back in the day. Um, <clears throat> one uh, international player leaving Australia, one player coming back, Claire Polkinghorn is to leave Brisbane Raw, uh, Raw and join uh, Vichso in Sweden. She's going to leave before uh, the finals, which is a disappointment for Brisbane, of course, for their championship hopes. Uh, coming back the other way, an interesting one, Spider, I'll come to you on this one. Danny Vukovic, uh, who's had such a successful four years with Gank in Belgium, has decided to head back home uh, to be with his uh, pregnant wife. Um, and a lovely scenes uh, in Belgium on his departure. The fans gathering, letting off flares, chanting his name, uh, giving him a great send-off. Uh, they obviously really loved him and appreciated him over there in Belgium. And rightly so. Uh, he was fantastic for them. Uh, he won, I think he won a championship with them, uh, player of the year for them. He was a fantastic goalkeeper, had a fantastic career at Genk. Uh, I found it strange that he was coming home. I, I could only put, I, t I think I texted you, Simon, asked, do you know anything about it? Because mm. I'd seen it and I was, I was shocked. I had no idea. Um, I could only put it down to, to family reasons, of course. But of course, he got the farewell that he deserved by supporters that love him. And mate, he's going to always be welcome when he goes back there. Where's it? Where's he going to play in the A League? Uh, I was going to. I was going to say that he's obviously think, going back. To, well, Maury, he's obviously going back to Sydney for family reasons. So, look at the clubs that are in Sydney. Red has been making a few mistakes lately. I guarantee you he'll be the best player on the park for the next month. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Wanderers. Margush yeah. is doing well, young young keeper, but it could be an option. Yep. Mate, Vuka is a championship-winning goalkeeper. So wherever he goes, you want to build your team to win the championship. So well, you know? he's, he's not, let's be honest, I, I doubt he'd go back to Sydney because that would seriously put Andrew Redmayne's nose out of joint and he's established himself at the number one. Um, you can't see him going to MacArthur because Adam Federici is, is pretty well ensconced okay. there. Yep. You can't see him going to the Mariners because Mark Berrigetti's got first dibs on that. Um, Jack Duncan and Lewis Italiano up at Newcastle. I think it's the Wanderers, isn't it? Well, as I said, yeah, he's I mean, a championship-winning but... goalkeeper. Yeah. He's a champ so a club that's got the ambitions to win the championship will actually sign Danny Vukovic. I, I don't want to be disrespectful to Newcastle, but I can't see him going to Newcastle in the state that they're in at the moment. Mm. So re if realistically... If he stays in Sydney, Spides, and we don't know why or if there's any issues, if he stays in Sydney, he goes to Western Sydney Wanderers. Yeah. Let's see if let's see if our prediction is uh, is correct and we are the soothsayers. Uh, Melbourne Victor for... a goalkeeper as well, though. But again, if yeah, he stays but that's in what I'm Sydney... saying. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. If he stays in Sydney, Melbourne Victory would be obviously ideal situation. You'd be ringing him up 
10 times a day and saying to him, come and sign for victory. But you don't know Danny's situation and the family situation. We'll wait and see. Thanks, guys, for the moment. Let's head overseas. London calling. London calling. With over a century of experience, ACPE's industry-recognised specialist bachelor degrees will turn your passion for sport, fitness, health science, education or dance into a career. Interested? Of course you are. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, guys, let's start with the quarterfinal draw for uh, the UEFA Champions League. Some rather tasty ties. Manchester City, Borussia Dortmund, Porto against Chelsea. Uh, Real Madrid against Liverpool and Bayern Munich against Paris Saint-Germain, a repeat of last year's final. What takes your fancy there, Maury? In terms of game or in terms of the team that I think that's going to win the tournament? Anything you like, anything you like. I just, I can't get away from Bayern Munich. Um, I, I really can't. They're just, they're on such an impressive run. They're such dominant form. We know the trophies that they've won. Um, I think they'll see off PSG. Um I know you're probably not going to like this, Simon, because it's your side of the draw in terms of... Careful, careful, Maury. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't get away from Bayern Munich. I mean, for me, um, Chelsea under Tuchel have done an, uh, an unbelievable job uh, and probably the you know, Porto, to be fair, have done a fantastic job to get to this situation, but I, I expect Chelsea to progress. But I'm Bayern Munich, man, for the Champions League. Spider? Mm. And Bayern Munich had a player sent off on the weekend after... 12 minutes. <laughs> they won 4-0. And they battered them. Mate, they, they are scary good. Man City will go through. They'll beat Dortmund. Uh, yeah. Bayern will, will knock out Paris Saint-Germain. Chelsea yeah. will beat Porto. And what Liverpool about Real Madrid. Little... I've got no idea. I've got, I got I'm no gonna... idea because, because Liverpool, are, Liverpool... Mate, Liverpool are shite during the league, but in the Champions League, they've been excellent. And Real Madrid... I've got their swagger back, Maury. Like oh. they, they, they beat Atalanta with a cigarette in their mouth the other night, and I, I thought it was going to be a tight contest, mate. They played with them. Interesting. Oh, but they got a gift. They got a gift, Spider Atalanta. Give them a, a, a nice little gift to, to to open the scoring, and then you're yeah, right. I know. But they got their swagger back, mate. I'm telling you, Real Madrid, Real Madrid against Bayern Munich in the final. Well, that's not going to happen, obviously. Um, <laughs> let's wait and see. The Europa League quarterfinal draw is an interesting one as well. Granada against Manchester United. Uh, Arsenal against Slavia Prague, who've done for a, a couple of more favoured teams from the UK in the last few rounds. Ajax against Roma. Now, this is the one I wanted to ask you about, um, Spider. Dinamo Zagreb against Villarreal. Now, Dinamo Zagreb uh, had that amazing turnaround against Spurs uh, during the week in the second leg, coming from 2-0 down to win 3-2 on aggregate. 
made all the more remarkable because their manager has had to quit because he's about to serve a five-year jail term. Mm-hmm. I mean, the joke in England is that um, you know he's out coached Mourinho from a prison cell. Yeah, no, mate, it was unbelievable. I tell you, like Dinamo is a very, very good side. They they dominate the Croatian league. They have a very good budget, but to do what they did to Tottenham, and I must say, Tottenham were poor. They they were woeful, and Mourinho actually gave them a serve. How did they end up tonight? Because I expected a reaction from them. But Dinamo were ex- Dinamo were excellent. Considering what happened in the lead up to the match with their with their coach quitting, can't coach anymore, assistant coach taking over, mate, they played a fantastic match against a very, very poor Tottenham. Now, I don't expect them to get through uh, against Villarreal, but I tell you what, the scenes in Zagreb after the victory against Tottenham were unbelievable. Well deserved as well. Um, Maury, Jose Mourinho, in the aftermath of that uh, game, and to be fair, that they beat Aston Villa uh, overnight on Sunday by two goals to nil to get back on track to a certain degree. But Mourinho's comments afterwards uh, towards his players saying they didn't bring the basics of football, the basics yeah. even of life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty brutal. Now, Mourinho has a bit of form in this regard, doesn't he? And when he gets to this point in, in a managerial job, the end is normally in sight. Do you think we're witnessing that again? I don't know. I mean, he's one of those ones that when he goes in, he's very he's very well protected, Simon, in terms of I think it's very hard to sack him, let's say. Um, but he's, it was a long interview. It was a seven or eight minute interview uh, where, you know, he, he was quite brutal in terms of his assessment, uh, which I think was, was fair, um, you know, that, to the Tottenham supporters, um, to himself, that it was it was a game that they, they should have wanted to compete and to, to win, and the Tottenham definitely underperformed. But at the same time, he didn't he didn't separate himself from the group, Simon. Um, when you listen to to his interview, and he, he does touch on we, and that we you know I'm part of the team, and so I don't think he kind of alienates the players. Um, he was hugely disappointed. He went on to say that, you know, it was hard to explain words beyond sadness. Uh, he, he was just really disappointed with the... And, and I'm sure the Tottenham supporters would have been because they were in a great, great position and they threw away a wonderful opportunity. Maury, they went there. They, they went there and thought all they had to do was turn up. Yep. And they, in football, as we know, does not happen anywhere in the world. And every team that you play at that level... You must respect. And he warned them. He actually yep. warned them. He warned the them a half time actually, them before the game. Yep. yep, 100%. And they got what they deserved. Interesting times at uh, Tottenham. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann is being mentioned as a potential replacement. That would be interesting, wouldn't it, uh, for uh, Spurs fans? Uh, moving on to the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, FA Cup quarterfinals. Uh, Manchester City fairly straightforward over Everton by two goals to nil. Ditto Southampton defeating Bournemouth. Uh, 3-0 Chelsea routine, 2-0 over Sheffield United. The interesting one is Leicester 3, Manchester United 1. The first time United have lost an away match in any competition in 30 matches. And that, again, puts the pressure back on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, particularly in the wake of Gary Neville's comments last week that he needs to win a trophy for this to be a successful season. Well, it's now all on the Europa League, isn't it? That's a bit harsh, ain't it? Like, I mean... They're going to get Champions League for for next next year. 
I think they're up against a very, very good team in Man City, uh, who I don't think they'll catch. Uh, they're still in the they're still in the uh, Europa League. I don't think you can actually say if he doesn't win a trophy, it's been a bad season. I think he's actually done a very good job because at the beginning, I thought they were paddling. And I thought as the season's progressed, they've been good. Is it Manchester United football? That's not for me to say. That's for people who, who decide the philosophy and how they want to play. They're a counter-attacking team. When they have to dominate matches and play on the front foot, they're not very good. When they counter-attack, and their results say that away from home, they are very, very good. They are a club. More they are a club. Sorry, 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 Sean. They are a club that uh, you associate trophies with. Um, I agree. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, has done a good job. Is it the Man United way? Um, you know, I, I would probably suggest that the, the supporters watching the game, it's not the style that they would like to see. Uh, have an, an incredible run away from home. Um, I actually think that they've got a great chance to, to win the Europa. I actually think they're the favourites. I've not seen the, the, the odds, but I think they've got a great chance to win the Europa. And they, they've had a really good Premier League season, but they are expected to win trophies, Spider. It's a club, you know it. It's like that's the expectation yeah. of the football. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer criticised for his uh, team selections against Leicester, in particular, leaving Bruno Fernandes. Uh, who's been outstanding, of course, this season. And indeed, Luke Shaw on the bench. Um, he did bring them on later on, but uh, a little bit too late by then. Um, interesting story in the Sun newspaper over the last 48 hours uh, that VAR is allegedly being manipulated by an analyst, <laughs> somebody who is not a referee. This is, according to Mark Halsey, um, former Premier League referee who says that he he knows that at Stockley Park there is an analyst who is interfering with decisions and telling referees what to look at and what to not in their role as as the VAR. Does that sound plausible to you? And if so, I mean, clearly that needs some sort of major investigation, doesn't it? In football, everything's possible. Some of the stuff that I've seen in fo- football that I didn't think was possible. Mate, I'm seeing it all. And that does not surprise me one little bit. And sh- like seriously, with VAR, like, I don't even want to talk about it. Like We didn't even talk about Ufi Tale going bananas <laughs> with the Wellington game for a clear handball that you could see over here in Croatia that VAR didn't see. Mate, I, I give up with the VAR. I really do. Uh, just put a bomb to it and get rid of it. Yeah, cool. Um, well, let's uh, leave Maury with this one then before we go into uh, footballers' lives. What about this one, Maury? Arsene Wenger's proposals to play the World Cup and the Euros every two years and I get rid... Uh, sorry, I quote, get rid of everything else. And now I hear that Gianni Infantino is keen to merge Major League Soccer and Liga Max in Mexico. What on earth is going on at FIFA House? I have absolutely no idea. Every time I hear, honestly, but every time I hear Infantino, I mean, his ideas about about the game and what he believes people want to see, mate, they're, they're completely the opposite of what I what I believe. You know, I've kind of been involved in and, and love to watch. It's like they just seem so out of touch. Arsene Wenger got huge respect for for him as a manager and what he's achieved in football. Um, got huge knowledge, but he's come out with some some pretty random stuff of late as well, hasn't he? And 
we always want to change things, you know, and I just think sometimes that tradition and that culture and that history, World Cup every four years, like, like let, let's just keep things the way that they are, you know. I just think that sometimes we get a little bit too busy uh, wanting to change things when things are actually working and they're working very well. Hmm. How many more right. games do you want the players to play? How many more flights do you want them to catch? Where do you want them to travel to? Mate, we're already talking about the schedules being overloaded. Maury, there's only one reason they want to do that. Financial. My question is more about this getting rid of everything else. What does that mean? We don't bother with the Asian Cup or the African Cup of Nations or the CONCACAF Gold Cup. They're just supposed to be swept aside, are they, in this great push to get a World Cup and Euros every two years where you know all the major players of the world are i get that but you know football is a global game and uh, for me the reason why world cups are special is because they're a rarity they only happen every four years and that's what makes it special and you guys you know you played in them i've called them in the commentary box and they're special for that reason All right, uh, thanks very much, guys, for the moment. Let's head into our final segment today, and we've got a legend from the 1970s Socceroos waiting for us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Our guest today was born in Preston in England in 1949. He began his football career with Preston North End, where his brother had played. Before he could make the first team, he was offered the chance to come to Australia by Jimmy Kelly. He signed for South Coast United in 1968. A year later, he'd made his debut for Australia, went on to play for St George, Safeway United, before he returned to England with Luton Town in 1974. Later, he played for Cardiff City, and had two years with the Tampa Bay Rowdies in the North American Soccer League, along with a stint back in Australia with Canberra City. He coached Wollongong City in the NSL, and locally with Port Kembla and Bulleye, still lives in the Illawarra today. And most famously, of course, he was part of that 1974 squad of Socceroos that went to West Germany to compete at the World Cup. He is Adrian Noddy Alston. How are you, Adrian? Good to see you, mate. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Thanks, guys. It's lovely to talk to you. It's great to have you on. Adrian, take us back to those early days when you were a kid in Preston. Was that your dream to play for the local club? And who was your hero? Was it Tom Finney or somebody well, else? Well, actually, yeah, my hero was my brother. He played with Tom Finney at that time. Uh, my brother died at 71 years old. He was 11 years older than me. He died from head trauma from the football. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, Tom Finney's last game, they, I think they played Luton Town. Tom Finney's last game and my brother scored two goals. They won 2-0 and I, I've, I've still got the papers somewhere and it says um, uh, Finney legend, but Alston takes the limelight. So I was always quite proud of my brother as a player. He wasn't as good as me, but... Uh, <laughs> <he was. laughs> um, so tell us, uh, Adrian, about how this move to Australia came about in the late 60s. And uh, I, I understand you had to convince your wife a little bit to come over as well. Well, yeah, she was only my girlfriend then. Right. But uh, <laughs> they, um, I was I was playing for for Preston North End B team, which is like the fourth team. So I was uh, I went there when I was about sixteen as a amateur player, not as a a a, a, um, a professional. And uh, I was very very small. And Willie Cunningham, who was a Scottish international, 
he played at left fullback alongside my brother as well. He said, you're not going to make it, son. So anyhow, uh, Jimmy Kelly happened to be at one game when I was playing youth grade and he asked me to, to go to uh, Fleetwood. And I played four games for Fleetwood. One was against Blackpool in the, in the Lancashire Cup and I scored the goal. We beat them 1-0. And Jimmy Kelly said, I want to take you to Australia. And I said, what for? And he said, to play football. He said, it'll suit you because the grounds are very hard. And with me being very slim and, and small, uh, I used to run with the ball the whole time. And he said to me, it'll suit you, believe me. And I said, nah, nah, nah. I was on five pounds a week or something. And then they offered me um, 30 pounds a week. So... I said to my girlfriend, I said, why don't we just give it a go, you know, just for one season and then we'll see how things go. So, of course, from there, after I was over in, um, in Australia for maybe eight days, I sent a letter to my girlfriend because she didn't have a phone and I didn't have a phone at my house with my parents. And I, I said, you've got to come and see this country. It's wonderful. So about two months later, she arrived and then all of a sudden you get picked for New South Wales, then you get picked for Australia, and then she didn't see her family for six years. So they were a bit upset, <laughs> as you can imagine. But it worked out okay, Adrian. Safe to say that uh, is the case. Um, you said you got selected for, for New South Wales and then Australia pretty early on. Um, your debut came in uh, 1969, I think. Was that a difficult choice for you? Because obviously you were born in England, you grew up in England. Yeah, we, we were playing Greece, and Greece had just um, two weeks earlier met a draw with England, I think, 2-2. And so they came over here on tour, and uh, Joe, Uncle Joe Vlasic picked me uh, in the squad. So we had a, a practice match on the Thursday for the Saturday game, and I scored five in this, in this training session. So anyway, it came to the actual day of, of, of picking me. And he picked me at number 11. So he's reading the team out. And when he got to me at the last, and he says, Alston, and he said, how do you feel? And I said, well, I suppose my England days are over then. That's it. <laughs> you know? I was uh, honestly over the moon. And I have to say, once I pulled that shirt on, uh, the only thing Australian, uh, sorry, the only thing English about me now is my accent. Uh, and yeah. very proud, very, very proud. I have five grandkids. Triplets for my son. The two boys play rep football in the second second division of New South Wales, whatever it is. One's a right back, one's a left back, and they're 17 now. And, and the girl, she's in the Australian Ballet in Melbourne. She left home at 15 years of age and went to live in Melbourne, and she's been there ever since. So, and uh, I've got two daughters, two granddaughters, you know, uh, with my daughter who was actually born in Cardiff. So um, we have a multicultural family as well, still going. We'll come on to your days uh, in Cardiff in a moment, but uh, I want to ask you about those early days again in Australia. You, you playing uh, on the South Coast, and then you went to play for St George, of course, with, uh, with Atia Bonnie, famously, who was your, your soccer teammate as well. Best player I ever played with. I would, that was the question I was going to ask you. Yes. Is that right? And, and for what reason? He, I don't know. I, I think we, um, we started off as roommates for the Australian team. I'll never forget that, that, you know, that game against Greece where Otty scored the goal and he scored 27 penalties all in all out of 27. He was uh, phenomenal with, you know, with a uh, player, great touch, 
Hungarian background and, and a wonderful, wonderful man. And, and so he really helped me along in my early days when I first started with the national team. And uh, yeah, it was uh, just fantastic, you know, for myself. Who, who, would, he, who would you think that he uh, reminds you of in the modern day game? Who would you think that Odia Bonnie was like in the modern day game? His favourite player was Bobby Charlton, believe it or not. He called his son after Bobby Charlton. He always used to tell me these things he would like to be like him. And I said, well, you can't be because he's a left footer and you're a bloody right and stuff. Um, it, it's hard to say that. I've always said this because luckily I played against Pele, George Best, uh, all, you know, two or three Brazilian international, the Brazilian captain. Um, and, and, you know, I could go through many, many, many players. Uh, Giorgio Canaglia, who you know, the Italian striker and all them, uh, wonderful players. But everybody says trying to pick the best player ever. It's impossible. It's impossible to pick the best player ever because it's different times, different conditions, fitness, food, everything. Could you imagine Pele playing now or myself for that matter for Australia or yourself as a yeah. goalkeeper? I can see you now looking at me and I'm thinking like, <laughs> yeah, but but go through it again and, and do it now where goalkeepers don't come off the line anymore. I hate goalkeepers who don't come off the line and collect the ball. What are they there for? Shot stoppers. If my goalkeepers getting shot after shot after shot, I think I work on my defence. Is that right? <laughs> Is that right? Well, yeah, well, it's, it's, true, it's true, but the modern day game's changed. Let me tell you, I come off my line a long time ago. So <laughs> I know you did. That's why I'm saying it. Well, but you struggled when you had to start using your feet, eh? Hey, mate, what about, what about what I had to sprint? That was the problem. <laughs> Guys, we're, we're getting way off track here. I was about to ask Adrian, um, and the topic was, was Atia Boni. Um, it, oh, yeah, qualification sorry. for the 1974 World Cup. Uh, the playoff against South Korea. You actually came off the bench for Atia Boni in the second half, uh, just before Jimmy Mackay's goal. J just take us back to that playoff, because it, this is a game that, although people might have seen grainy black and white footage of the goal from Jimmy Mackay, they don't know a lot about you know that, that particular game and, and that particular time. Yeah, it was um, quite amazing, really. But you have to realise that you go to countries you know, like that South Korea, like Iran, for example, where you have 119,000 people and there's no women in, in the place. It's just this full stadium and, and, and it's, it's really, really strange. South Korea, a little bit different, great culture and everything like that. But, but the atmosphere and stuff, it, it was just, uh, you just can't relay it again after that. You only realize what, what you've done and what you've achieved after the event. But, but to actually go there and, and to come away with a 2-2 draw in the end because we were down. And, and I remember Rasik saying, when we jumped on the plane, there is no way we'll be knocked out now. No way. As soon as we achieved that one, we jumped on the plane and everything. And we just felt completely different. It, it, it was great to go in Hong Kong, which is one of my favorite countries, by the way. I've been there about 28 times now. And my wife, you know, loves it or used to love it because we won't be going back much there now, will we? But, uh, yeah, great. It, it was uh, something that dreams are made of, isn't it, of course? Did, did you realise at the time, Adrian, that the, the magnitude of what you'd achieved? Because the World Cup alert was big in those days. It probably wasn't as, 
uh, all pervasive as it is, you know, in the modern day? Well, if you're looking at, at the media now for any game, let alone the World Cup, could you imagine in them days when Australia's done it as part-time footballers and then you've met a draw with the sixth best team in the world, which was Chile, and you've played against the world champions and the other team, East Germany, was the only team to beat West Germany in that World Cup. And so you're against wonderful opposition, all this carry on. You know why um, the World Cup at that time wasn't very big? Because England didn't make it. <laughs> well, that's true in 1974 or 78. Because yeah. when we were in Switzerland, Rasik was, was uh, you know, and he's, he's magnificent, by the way, Rally Rasik, don't get me wrong, the best coach I've ever had magnificent man but he used to take me off at wrong times leave me out at wrong times and all that he used to get the shit but but looking back now with coaches everybody's on the bench they play half a game they play 20 minutes here and there and stuff like that because it, it it's a squad and he was already in that mode he used to leave you know leave you out and then all of a sudden and I was thinking on the way to the world cup finals I'm not going to be in the starting lineup the, we were playing against uh, Young Boys Burn, I think it was, in a practice match on the way to the World Cup in Switzerland. And the, all the English media followed us around because myself, Peter Wilson, Ray Richards, so on, you know, a few people from England and, and Scotland, and they followed us everywhere. Well, I was on the bench, half-time, came on, scored a hat-trick within 11 minutes. And the English press were there. And all of a sudden, I was somebody, you know what I mean? It's, uh, and I realised myself, you're playing... Now we're going to play against the big opposition. What can you do now? Just show me something now. And uh, I did. I did really well. And, and, uh, and that's why people offered. I think I made a slight mistake going back to England because, as I said, England didn't even qualify. Scotland qualified, by the way. Well done, son. Uh, <laughs> um, I was offered three different contracts by three different clubs, Hertha Berlin, Eintracht Frankfurt and Hamburg. And the last one was um, Hertha Berlin, wonderful with me, you know, and, and they offered X amount of dollars for this and, and so on and so on. It, it was pretty hard. I had a, an interpreter talking for me, but um, I was thinking that was it. I'm going to Germany. And then I came back, Luton Town's on the phone, this, that, the other. And I'm thinking my family, my wife, her parents, my own parents and stuff like that. And, and I suppose that was a bit of a push, uh, a push you know, the, uh, the language and stuff. But as far as football goes, I would have been better going to Germany at that time. Beckenbauer told me when I played against him in America and we swapped shirts again. And he said, why did you go to England? He didn't even qualify. He said, nobody knew you in England. He said, whereas here, everybody already knew you, including Cruyff when he copied. Yeah, we'll yeah, come on to that. <laughs> we'll come on to that. Don't worry, Noddy. I haven't forgotten. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's coming later. Adrian, uh, in terms of that success, in terms of qualifying 74 World Cup, you mentioned part-time football. Um, how, how big of a challenge, and, and now in reflection, that achievement to qualify for, for the World Cup was, was an enormous effort. It was because um, financially as well. Now, in them days playing for Australia, you didn't get a match fee. You got expenses, daily expenses for being away from your job, which was a pittance, right? So there was, there was no match fees like there are now, none. Uh, they still owe me 10 grand from the World Cup and every other player, they promised us. 
440,000 was the money that we got for qualifying. They said two, 220 would be shared between the players. Nothing. So anyhow, apart from the money, don't worry about it. I've got none anyway. doesn't matter. Get on to the players' union. <laughs> but yeah, I should. I should really. <laughs> but um, getting back to the question, getting back to the question, which, which is like, how hard was it? I lost four jobs. And, and I'm sure many other players did too, because every time we go into camp, Rasik tried as, as, as much as possible to get us together. And that was why we went on that world tour a couple of years, or I should say in about 72 or something like that. We went on a world tour and, and we played 13 games in one month, I think it was, or six weeks, whatever it was. Every two or three days, we're playing a game in a different nation. So it was horrendous. But what it taught us was how to be full-time professionals, how to be together. And, uh, you know, all that work, room, roommates, eating together, every single meal, you're together, together, together. And, uh, that, and that was special. So nowadays, you know, to have that lifestyle would absolutely be glorious and, and to be looked after properly and financially too. Um, Adrian, we're going to ask you about uh, the Alston turn or the Cruyff turn. <laughs> We had a yeah. couple of Twitter questions about this. Jason Goldsmith and uh, a, a Twitter handle called Dr. Cruel um, saying, is it true you invented the Cruyff turn? You did, didn't you? Well, I did it five days before him. At the World Let's Cup. Put it that way. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he might have practiced it before, but he didn't actually do it until he saw mine to perfection. And then, and then you can really see how someone does it properly. He was in his hotel room apparently watching the game of our game against East Germany and he said to his roommate he said I think I can do that so he did and then instead of his defender the wanker didn't even kick him whereas <laughs> the guy I'm playing against he flattened me he was a real defender you know what I mean he's played against somebody who doesn't tackle how can you say come on Anyway, I, I should have some recognition. I don't care what it is. I just need some recognition for that. Do you agree? We've got it. 100%. You've, you've got 100%, recognition. You've got Mate, you should have got a patent five days earlier. You would have been set. There were no cameras in them days. <laughs> it was too it's, it's it was the defender you can, you, you can blame. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, we will rename it the Alston Turn. Thank you. Um, just in terms of the, the two games against Germany, we had a Twitter question from Chris Hockman. What was the atmosphere like playing in Germany with both German teams there? Was there some tension or did it feel like uh, there was a unity, a desire for togetherness? Uh, and you mentioned that you got Franz Beckenbauer's shirt when you, when you played against West Germany as well. Yeah, the greatest player in the world. We, um, uh, As far as unity goes, we never felt anything like the East German, West German problem. You know, the wall, everything, it, it was, we just never thought about that. We, we played against East Germany, uh, good crowd. Uh, we were very well supported. I'm not saying that the West Germans were supporting us. You know, they didn't start any of this, you know, different cheering for us or them. I think they appreciated how we played. And, and more so when we played West Germany, because, you know, they put them under a lot of pressure because they were expecting to bash us you know, both teams. But uh, as far as unity goes, I thought it was all fine. Yeah, there was no problem that way. But um, 
I never even thought about, you know, the Berlin Wall and stuff like that. And and even when Hertha Berlin signed me, I mean, there, there's the wall right in front of my face and I'm going to sign for the club. You know, I never thought about anything like that. Mm. So Interesting. But I must um, admit, after the Olympic Games and, and the uh, all the um, army blokes with the machine guns, the Sten guns and everything surrounding in, in Hamburg, where we were training and everything like that, Nobody allowed in and everything. It was really, really strict that way because two years earlier, they had the Olympic Games problems, you know? Mm. And uh, uh, we were in a meeting before the first game and my father arrived, which I didn't know he was coming. He arrived from England and next minute is in the bloody back of the room. And, oh, sorry, that was against West Germany, I think it was, after the game. It was after the game against East Germany and then they, they let him in because he told him he was my dad. <laughs> and I had a good game. <laughs> they let him in. Good security. <laughs> the security was top class, wasn't it? Yeah, fantastic, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Does, I, I imagine, that, you know, this event now is nearly 50 years ago, yes. um, but it's still, you know, very, very much etched in the minds of, of every Australian football supporter. I, I would imagine that for the squad members, and one or two sadly have, have uh, have since passed away, of course, including the legendary Johnny Warren. But I imagine there's a special bond between you, even 50 years on, given what you achieved. Is, is that right? It's unbelievable, really. I can't think of any other team. For example, Otia Bonnier rang me two nights ago from uh, uh, the, the Central Coast, Coffs Harbour, he lives, actually. He rang me two nights ago. I speak to most of the players regularly Rasik rings rings every month and i'm yeah, sure because rally's bored sure rally's bored so he wants to hear what everyone's doing <laughs> he wanted to apologize to me for leaving me off a couple of times I, that's what he keeps doing it's too late rally it's too late boss you can't do it now but uh yeah it, it, it it's amazing how we have yeah, yeah stayed together it, it's amazing and uh because i don't call all my friends in America, I don't call all my friends in England I played with and stuff like that, but the uh, the national team, it, it's special. Yeah, it was something really, really special. And uh, obviously you guys know, you know, you've, you, you've played many games at high level, but I, I think it was Harry Kuehl once said he'd rather win the European Cup with Liverpool than play in the World Cup for Australia. But after he played that time, and I, and I think they beat Croatia or somebody, whatever it was, I think after that time he realised there's only one World Cup. There's only, yeah. there's only one. Uh, club mm. football, I, 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 I played, I got man of the match against Arsenal. Uh, we met a draw 2-2 two uh, at Highbury, and I'll never forget the poster. It's outside the ground, and it says, Aussie takes on the Gunners. And I was so proud that my dad's going to arrive there and look at that outside the ground. You know, yeah. but you know what? Somebody asked me after, oh, wow, you played against Arsenal. I said, I played against fucking French Beckenbauer and the World Cup. <laughs> I said, I played against them. I yeah, said, what yeah. are you talking about? I played against the best in the world. You know, not yeah. Arsenal. They're just an English team who didn't qualify for the World Cup. Adrian, did it, did it surprise you how long it took for Australia to qualify for another World Cup after 1974. Did that, did that surprise you how long it took? Very much so, Be because I was 
overseas from then. So I didn't play any other international games after the 74 World Cup because Australia couldn't afford to fly me back to play a game. Right? And then at the death in 77, 1977, they'd already played three games. I think they'd lost the three games. Then Johnny Warren asked me to come and play eight games for Canberra. So I jumped over, assuming that the Australian team are bringing me back and to play in these games. So they get back and the coach, Jim Shoulder, I think it was, never knew who I was. But then you get in the squad after another couple of games and it's too late. But uh, year after year after year, we didn't qualify. Very, very surprising. I think everything went on just standby after it happened in the, in the World Cup. But yeah. saying that, the media them days, we had the ABC and that was virtually it. So if it would have been, you know, more media savvy and having all the stuff, I, I think we would have um, jumped up the ladder really, really quickly. Hey, June, we've sort of jumped around a little bit here, but uh, I just want to return briefly back to your, your club career before we finish off. Um, you left Luton Town because <coughs> they got relegated, even though you, you were top scorer at Kenilworth Road for that uh, one season in the top flies. Uh, you went to Cardiff City, and I'm not sure a lot of people... Are, uh, know this fact you're actually the first Australian to score in a European club competition you scored in the cup winners cup against Dinamo Tbilisi for Cardiff after they won the Welsh cup and you actually had the best arguably I, I, I guess the best season of your career in in South Wales you scoring 16 goals as, as the club went up I wouldn't say it was my best season I, I would say it was my best season in Britain um, the Cardiff City was they gave me a wonderful welcome and I was lucky enough that the Australian rugby union team was playing the next day on the Saturday. So they changed our kickoff to Friday evening. So the whole of the, of the rugby union team were there for me. The first game they're they're all in the stand. And within my second touch, I, I uh, chested one reverse volley over my shoulder, scores, that, that, that. So straight away, the crowd really, really took to me well. They, they did. They, you know, they treat me really well. And, and as I say, my daughter was born there in, in, in Cardiff. Wonderful place. The people were lovely uh, uh, and, and great memories. I, I really met a couple of friends there. One was the goalkeeper, Ron Healy from Manchester City, who, who you know. And uh, Clive Charles used to play for West Ham. I got really friendly with them. Both of them have died since, actually. But, um, yeah, we had some great times and um, great memories, great memories. But once again, nothing like the Australian World Cup, the team. Yeah, that's the main one. Um, you finished off your, your club career actually in, in the States, played in the North American Soccer League, which was very much the big thing in the late uh, 70s with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Uh, yes. You're playing with the likes of Rodney Marsh. The league has, and you're playing against the likes of Pele, George Best, Franz Beckenbauer, Eusebio. And I'm, I'm told that when you, were, when you signed, mm. they announced your arrival and they flew you in on a helicopter. Is that right? Tell us that Correct. story. Correct. They asked, me to, uh, they asked me to go out in the car park for an interview. So I did... I didn't realize I'd, I'd never seen a game, of course, over there, but they run out one at a time and they introduce you individually. So anyhow, in the meantime, I can hear all the background, this, you know, ah, Rodney Marsh and Lenny Glover from Leicester and da, 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 da. And then next minute, brrr, jump in here. Up we went. 
and he gets down near the middle <laughs> and he goes, get out. I said, you've got to go lower than that. <laughs> it, was about, it was about three feet, three foot off the ground. I thought he was going to fly out. And he said, uh, and here he is all the way from Sydney, Australia, you know, Socceroo and all this carry on. And from that, they called me Subaru, you know. And then Subaru Car Company came in asking me, why are they calling you Subaru? I shouldn't have said anything. I should have said, yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> I'd have got a car. <laughs> so they did give you a car. When I said Subaru, they went, oh, okay, see ya. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was amazing. The chance to get uh, a free car and you blew it, Noddy. Yeah. Um, is it is it fair to say that the, the AstroTurf, as great as your experiences were in America, maybe maybe didn't uh, help your your body? It finished my career. We were playing in uh, in Boston, and there was a big centre half for them, a big you know dark lad. He he, he was re- very very strong. I think he played for Leicester City as well. I can't think of his name now, but I went in on the AstroTurf, planted my foot, and went to play the ball. And my foot just locked and, and my, my body sp- spun round and I could already feel it going. And next minute he came in sideways and hit me knee high and it just snapped. I could hear it snap and, and it was like, we are. And that was really all down to the AstroTurf because my foot, my leg just wouldn't give to turn round. And uh, so I hate it, to tell you the truth. Um, my boys, my grandsons play down here and, and they play on that AstroTurf. It's different now than what it used to be. You know, there's a different texture to it and everything. That was invented for the gridiron, really. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was difficult. And, and when we used to go to New York Cosmos and play them, uh, we beat them 4-1 in, in Tampa Bay on the grass and we got to Cosmos and I think we got beat 3-1 up there against Pelle, 76,000 that were at, at, at the stadium, but it's bloody AstroTurf. I hated it, you know? Yeah, difficult. But um, it, hey, it's coming. It has to come over here because of our our weather. Uh, you know, we never get rain. <laughs> we've so, got a lot of those uh, AstroTurf pitches, uh, the modern uh, synthetic surfaces uh, across the country at MPL level, haven't we? Um, we got another Twitter question. This is our question of the week from The Watcher. Uh, congratulations to you. $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher coming your way. Uh, Adrian, is there anything you would adopt from the time you played to the modern game and stroke or vice versa? Uh, probably grass pitches, I would imagine, in, in your day. Yeah, the grass. <laughs> oh, I, I think, you know, there'd be many things. The game, um, like, it, it, you know, it, uh, he's just said there about... The game is completely different now. It's all pace. It's all this and everything like that. I still think we haven't got to the stage where, are we going to play it out from the back or aren't we going to play it out from the back? It really shits me off this because I think we do it far too much. And I, uh, and I think the um, Graham Arnold met a statement maybe a couple of years ago, and he says, we're teaching our kids to play football, but we don't teach them how to win. So, you know, we tend to get a lead on and then all of a sudden we'll just play in front of the penalty area and we're inviting them in. When you're down 1-0, you're chasing the game, true or false. We're looking to get back into the game. So you're going to attack. As soon as somebody's in my face and I'm in defence, if, if I can see three forwards, I'll just chip it over the head and let's get out of here. You know, why would we go sideways again? Well, you know, encouraging this. That's what I would change. And I don't mean the, the old-fashioned way, long, long, long. I don't believe in that, you know, by any means. But I, I just think if we have 
uh, a player with great technique, like an, an attacking midfielder, a number 10, number nine, a, a really good striker, and the goalkeeper's touching the ball four times more than him, what are we asking for? That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair point. Um, my last question before uh, Spider, no doubt, ask you his weekly question. Um, so what have you been up to since retirement? We know obviously you coached in the NSL and you were involved with the Wolves and you've coached locally in, in the Illawarra. Um, you, you work with people uh, with disabilities these days, is that correct? Still working? I'm still working. I'm 73 years old. I was born in 1948, actually, not 49. Oh, your Wikipedia page is wrong. I know. <laughs> I, I don't know who wrote that. But, uh, <laughs> the, um, I've worked at the Disability Trust. I never thought after football I would find something that I actually loved because football was my life as a kid. It was my life. You know, I dragged my girlfriend over here, drag around the world, live in four, four or five different countries. And after it's all over and I got injured and I was 20, 28, I think. And, and, you know, that was very costly financially and stuff. But anyway, the, the people I work with have an intellectual disability. I, I first started off, some guy rang me up and he said, my name's Arnie Ulbrich. And he said, I wonder, could you come down to the indoor soccer stadium and give us a training session? I work at the Disability Trust and we have an indoor soccer team who play, who play in the open competition, not a disability competition. And I said, of course, won't be a problem. I went down and we had a couple of training sessions and I said, when do you play? I'll come down and watch. So he said, we're playing tonight. So I went down to, to watch and I played with them. And so try and get them organized a little bit. Here I go. Arnie played, I played. And, and so we're with them. So cut a long story short, there's a, a, I see this ad in the paper for a sport and rec officer. So anyhow, I thought that would suit me that doing a bit of sport, you know, with people with intellectual disability, help out, you know, let's do something for the community. So I put him for the job and lo and behold, it's him. It's the job. It's with them. So next minute, four years later, or no, about six years later, four of those players went to the Barcelona Olympics for the Paralympics. Four got selected. Brilliant. The indoor soccer team. So already an achievement. And I've been working there now nearly 35 years at the Disability Trust. Wonderful, wonderful people. There were six people when I started. We have now 1,100. Wow. between yeah. Sydney and Victoria. And uh, obviously I'm not in sport, I'm in independent living. And I, I work with a group who, who are about, well, they're not a group, they're individual. They live at home on their own, no support from anybody else. And I, I see six different clients and I love it. That's why I'm, I'm 73 and I'm still going. That's and I'm gonna, go brilliant. Till I, I'm gonna go till I'm 80, you know? Good so brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. That's brilliant. But now, now you've got, got to answer the big question, Noddy. Yes. The listeners always love to know the best stadium that you've played at and the biggest dungeon you've played at. <laughs> the biggest dungeon we've played at was probably Hertha Berlin because it took about 20 minutes from underneath. You had to walk from the dressing rooms and you could drive tanks under there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was a long, long way. I remember I'm thinking, bloody hell, this is a bit of a walk. I'll be knackered. Uh, oh, and, and just getting back to the to the um, one thing, you know, ju just before I get on the best stadium, um, when we went to play against West Germany, we drove up to the stadium, and 
it's like an hour and a half before the game and they're warming up and I'm on the bus and I always used to have a little quip and I says, they'll be knackered. I said, boss, we're laughing. They'll be knackered. They're warming up already and everything like that. And I walked straight across. Everybody walked in. I ran up across to Beckenbauer and I said, France, after the game, swap shirts. And he goes, what number are you? I said, don't worry about the number. I'll be standing next to your bloody game. It's <laughs> <laughs> all fixed up. He's still got his jersey, Adrian? Well, it, it's, it's at my son's house. You know, my grandsons have it. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's all framed and, and my shirts and everything. Uh, yeah, he's got, them, he's got them in one room. He's got, you know, quite a number of, of, of stuff. But a lot I've given away to, you know, disability sections to raise some money and stuff like that. So um, I've still got a few. Best stadium? Many, many stadiums, many stadiums. But uh, I would, my favourite would honestly be the sports ground in Sydney. I think that's where, you know, we qualified and, and uh, played those games for the World Cup and finals of, of, of our football in, in Australia. So just for me, I'd, I'd say that one. But I've played in many, many big ones. Azteca Stadium and obviously the World Cup stadiums. Iran, 119,000 people. So, yeah, yeah, many stadiums. Arsenal was good at the time. I, play, I played all them, Chelsea and stuff. But uh, Chelsea wasn't very big, actually. I think they only had 30,000 then. I think it held. It was but, a bit different in those days, I think, wasn't it? Much more of an open ground at uh, Stamford Bridge. When I, signed, when I signed for Luton, Simon, am I right in saying this? Were Man United and Man City in the second division? No, United were, um, because they'd been relegated 73-74. Uh, yeah. So you played in the first division with United in the second, but City were actually in the first division. I know that for a fact, because that was the first year that I started watching football. So oh, I actually right. watched you at Main Road. How about that? When I was six or seven years old. Well, there you go. And uh, Rodney Marsh, he's still a mate of mine. He doesn't get in touch much, but uh, yeah, I, I got really friendly with Rodney Marsh. He's, he's, a, he's a good lad. He's a good uh, Adrian, can I ask you one more before we go, just, just on friendships? I'm told that you're, you're one of the few soccerers that stays in touch with, with Peter Wilson. How is Peter these days? I see Peter spasmodically. I see him sometimes when he goes for a walk. He's had five operations on his back. Um, he's still got his long hair and his moustache and stuff like that. So he's, he, he, he walks very gingerly and stuff like that. But all in all, he, Peter's always been different. Let's not say that Peter has gone, you know, different. He, he was always different, you know, from the very beginning. Funny man. And it was a life of the party and all that. He has gone quieter, obviously. But um, many things have happened in his life. So, it, uh, you know, that's private. But uh, he, he's another wonderful, wonderful player. All the players, I think if you go through the squad, in them days at least, really well balanced. When you had good players, in, honestly, from the back to the front, we had really, really good players. But we were part-timers and, and it would have really helped because um, I would have loved to, to, to do it all again, but full-time professional. Yeah. Well, Adrian, you were a very, very good player and uh, we enjoyed... Uh, reminiscing about the World Cup and various other things. We really thank you for your time. Uh, terrific to, to see you looking so well. And um, hopefully we can do it all again soon. And give our best to Peter Wilson when you do see him I next. certainly will. Thanks, boys. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Adrian. See Good you. man. You look yes. after yourselves. All the best. That's uh, Adrian Olsen. Our thanks to him and to you for listening. We are back same time, same place next week. Until then, bye for now.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.